Can changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. All right, we're back. Welcome to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had the pleasure of speaking with Tasha from Positive Friendship. It's a really cool story about how life can throw you a curveball and you turn around and make the best of it. Yeah, uh, and I think that's just such a great way of putting it, Rex. It was an awesome interview. Um, you know, me and Rex were just kind of talking after the show, before the intro, just about how cool it is to do all of these interviews because you just get to hear such incredible stories. It's inspiring. Um, Tasha's story is just super inspiring and what she's doing is, is awesome. Um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy just hearing about the way that she was able to use animals to help solve a serious issue in her life and in other, other families' lives. Um, with, and with, she kind of just stumbled upon it. Totally. You know? yeah. yeah. And it's Which... just not like, yeah, it's not like something she like went to school to be like, you know, for like, special needs development or animal training. I mean, she had, you know, background training in neither of those, but came across it. And um, one thing she that took action that, though, exactly. As I was going to say the initiative and taking action, you know, when something happens and being like, I could either complain or feel bad, or I can take action. I mean, she's literally said when she had her son, one of the early like occupational therapy meetings, she's in the waiting room because she saw what her son, how she reacted with, with the, their dog. And she's like already Googling how to start a nonprofit, like instant action of being like, I'm going to solve this or I may not solve it, but just I'm going to take action to, to, to facilitate it. And now thousands of families have been blessed by that small little bit of action in a waiting room. Absolutely. And thousands more to come too. Yeah. So um, great story again. Um, you know, how you guys can help support her story is as she mentioned, you know, follow, uh, positive friendships on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, also follow us on those social channels too, because you know we're here promoting these awesome people and awesome stories. So the more you share these episodes, the more um, just the more of a network it opens up to. You know, you never know what friend that you might share this podcast with that listens to it and is like, oh, this is super awesome. It really relates to me in a way, or it relates to my uncle you know, and that uncle then donates money to this nonprofit, you know, and it's yeah. all you had to do was just share it to one person who shared to one person. And then that person, you know, donated or helped out or provided in some way um, that they could. So just, just, you know, we're all trying to spread this good message of changing the corner of our universe and, and just keep on sharing them. Yep. Until the next one. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we are excited to speak with Tasha Tharp Gatanis. Um, she is the founder of Positive Friendships. That's positive as in P-A-W, like your little paws on, a, on an animal's hand. Um, super excited to learn about what she's doing. It's a really creative project. Um, she's impacting a lot of kids, a lot of people, a lot of families as well. Um, we found her through social media, as we find quite a few of our guests, and um, just looking at some of the imagery and things that they've uh, they've accomplished in their vision and looking at their website and their mission. Um, just really excited to see what they've done in the past and what they have going in the future. So, Tasha, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for reaching out to us and in inviting me. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's start off with uh, a little bit of your past. You know, we kind of talked a little bit before the show started. You kind of grew up in Arizona, but um, let's talk a little bit more about just kind of how you got how you got this idea um, for positive friendships and just how it all started. Okay, so my background, I never worked in nonprofit, never worked, um, you know, any type of business. I was. Um, I worked in the as a pharmacy tech for years. I taught pharmacy tech, moved on into career services. And then when I had my son, I was a stay-at-home mom. Um, when he was four years old, um, he went to preschool and he was kicked out of preschool because of his behaviors and because of just everything going on. The preschool teacher brought me in and said, hey, I need you to just sit here and watch this. And, and I'm just in tears because then I'm seeing all of the different things that's not quite the same as typical, you know, four, three and four year olds. So she said, I'm not, you know, I'm not supposed to tell you because I'm not a medical provider, but I really think you should have him go to the pediatrician and ask them about autism. Um, 
I had no idea about any of it. It was completely new to me. So I took them to the pediatrician. They asked us a bunch of questions. And sure enough, they said, yeah, definitely he has autism. We need to get him to a developmental pediatrician for a formal diagnosis. And you also need to have an evaluation for speech therapy and occupational therapy. And from that point on, my world was just turned completely oh, upside bet. down because yeah. I have, um, at that time, uh, my daughter was, if he was like three, four, my daughter was seven years older than him. So, you know, she's, she was older. So I have a typical daughter, everything's going normal. And then I have this and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, what, what do I, what do I do? Contact the developmental pediatrician. And at that time, there was about a nine month wait list just to get into the doctor to get a formal diagnosis. Whoa, thankfully, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> intense. Um, and thankfully, with the occupational therapy, it was much shorter wait. And at the pediatric clinics, they usually have speech at the, or they do they have speech and OT together. So when we went in for his evaluation, I'm telling this therapist, really, I just need his autism diagnosis from this person over here. I, he can't hold the crayon. He can't, he, he does this whole thing instead of holding it like this. And I'm like, it's nothing really big. I just need him to be ready for kindergarten. She's like, okay, mom, just let me do my evaluation. Mm -hmm. So we do his evaluation and there's so much more than what I was anticipating. Um, so he's four years old. He had the upper body strength of an 18 month old. He had the grasping strength of a nine month old. He could not cross midline. So he couldn't put it like they test them by like pushing their hand. He couldn't do cross midline, his hand, his eyes. Like he couldn't just like look with his eyes. He had to turn his whole body. Um, couldn't stack blocks more than two high. I mean, it, it just kept going on and on. And I'm just like, okay, what do I need to do? How can I, how can I fix this? You know, I need him. I need him ready for kindergarten. I'm just like hyper-focused kindergarten, kindergarten. And um, so he was in the clinic three days a week and then it went to two days and then one and, and then eventually grad, you know, he graduated out. But those days that he was not in the clinic, I had him doing those exact same exercises at home. And he, he I went back in the days he was in the clinic. I went back in the gym, watched what the therapist was doing with him asked a hundred questions. Why this? What's this doing? What is this? What is this? And then mimicking everything at home, anything, everything from, you know, purchasing the therapy swing to all of the sensory um, toys and tools, everything. He had to do everything. Problem is when he was at home, he absolutely did not want to do it. Absolutely did not. He, you know, at home, he wants to go play in his room. He wants to be on the computer or on his tablet, anything that's not, you know, work. Um, so I was like, gosh, I just, I'm tired of this. You know, what can I do? Well, I have a French bulldog Zoe and she's, that's, that's my dog. She's always right next to me. Just if she doesn't see me, she's crying or barking for me. She just wants me. So of course she's in there already. And I'm like, Hey, if I put Zoe in the swing with you, will you stay? And he's like, sure. So I'm like, okay, I had no idea if this was going to work or not. Pick Zoe up, put her on the swing with him. And hoping that she stays, hoping that he's calm. And I'm just holding her. I said, okay, you got a pet her and keep her on there. And he's just swinging and smiling and just loving it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, wow, this is amazing. Okay, next one, you have to do your wheelbarrow walks. So he's doing his wheelbarrow walks. And I said, okay, but this time, Zoe's going to sit, stay on the other side of the room. And then you're coming with me and we're going to put this dog biscuit on the back, on your back. And when you get to Zoe, you can give Zoe the treat. Well, that's creative. okay. That was a good idea. So, <laughs> right, yeah. And yeah. no idea if this is even going to work. Is he going to go for it? Is Zoe going to stay? I have no idea. So she stays, grab him, grab his legs, put the dog treat on. He's, you know, wobbling, wobbling, and it falls off. And he says, put it back on, put it back on. Okay, this is amazing. So I put the treat back on, grab his legs, and he wobbles and he does it makes it to Zoe, gives her the treat and says, I want to do it again. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is perfect. Breakthrough, so, yeah. 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 It was amazing. So from that point on, I incorporated Zoe into everything that every activity he had to do. It didn't matter. Zoe well, was what kind of dog is Zoe, right? 
She's a French bulldog. French bulldog. Okay. She, yep. You probably hear her snoring. She's right under my feet <laughs> snoring. Um, so she, she's now 12 years old. So she's an, she's an old, old French G. Um, but every, everything had to have Zoe incorporated where it's either show Zoe how to do this or where Zoe's actively involved in the exercise. Um, he was still going to the clinic. When we were in the clinic, I was now in the waiting, in the lobby, waiting and you, behind this door, you can hear all this screaming and kicking and not necessarily from him, just kids in mm-hmm. general, because they don't want to do the, act, the activity. Um, and I'm like, man, they need a dog back there. And then I was like, huh, why can't they have a dog back there? Why can't they have a dog in the, in the clinic to help the kids? That's what I'm doing at home. So then I started looking into it, couldn't find anything. You know, they had animal therapy, but it was like in the hospitals, in the nursing homes, um, just libraries, those, those types of things, but nothing that's actively where the dog is actively a part of the therapy doing exactly, you know, everything, what I was doing. I'm like, huh, okay, how, how do I start this? How do I do this? Um, you know, what's a nonprofit? How do I start a nonprofit? You know, just so much of the learning curve. I spent my time that he was back there researching. How do you start a nonprofit and all this stuff? The filed for my 501c3 status in the end of 20, 2014. And we were approved within, I think it was like eight to 10 days. Um, so that was amazing. Wow, right? that's like fast. pushed through yeah. that quickly. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, so from there, we, I, after I had my status and I'm like, okay, we can start working. It's me and Zoe going door to door to these, all the clinics around me that I can easily drive to and say, Hey, can Zoe and I come in and, and work with your therapist and do, you know, explain everything to them. And they're like, Nope, can't happen. Nope. 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 Was it, we got was it so many no's. The, was it because of the animal or was it because that, Oh, you didn't have the proper credential training. What do you think the resistance was? It was, it was the animal. The animal. So it was the animal. Some of them would say no, because they said, no, we can't have animals in the clinic because of other clients that you might not be working with will may have allergies. And so they didn't want the animal in the area. Others of them were just like, yeah, I don't think my therapist would go for that. And just kind of push me out, you know, just push me out the door. Um, finally was able to get into a clinic in our first session was in the February, March of 2015. So it took me a while to, you know, finally get through. But once we did, it just took off. Zoe and I, we were working with, we started with two, two boys. Um, and the progress was just amazing that, that they started making. And then all of a sudden the clinic's like, I have more parents and more families wanting, you know, to, to work an animal to work with their kid. And I'm just like, wow, I can't, I can't do all of this. I still have two Mm -hmm. kids at home, you know? Um, and so I started recruiting new additional therapy teams. One of the first teams besides myself that came on, um, she was a very seasoned therapy team. She was on, I think her second or third therapy dog. Um, she's always worked in hospitals. She's worked with kids, but in groups. And so this being a one-on-one setting, she was just amazed. And she said, absolutely, I'm in. Count, count me in. Um, she, she actually left a couple of her, of her other um, volunteer positions to join us, not full-time, but just really dedicate her time to us. And I saw her, the therapist that she was working with ask the therapist, so how's it going? Because I want to make sure what's happening is what's happening what's going on in my head and what was happening at home. So I'm trying to maintain consistency. And the therapist is like, it's amazing The you know, normally the boy that she sees, he doesn't even want to come back into the room. But on the very first session, as soon as he saw hope, he followed her right into the treatment room. And I was able to get more work out of him in the first, you know, 30 minutes than I have in the past nine months. Just so this is the still, dog was in there. This is still autistic children at this point? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yep. So we continued to grow the, the clinical program, adding new therapy teams. And then the end of 2015, I was approached by an autism school 
and they wanted us to go into their into the provide animal therapy weekly to their entire school. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never, I have no idea. This wasn't in my plan, you know. And so at this point <laughs> too, like, did you did you own quite a few of these of the dogs, or were they all actually no, first were they all so, dogs at this point too, or? Yes. So at this point, it was all dogs, and so I. That's what's the kind of the great part is that I own my dogs. And so all of the other animals that you see on the website, they are all, they all lived and owned with their handler. So positive friendships doesn't own any animals. We just have volunteers and to be a volunteer, you have to have an animal that is a therapy animal. So that's, it's convenient. Hmm. Um, So we expanded into the schools. Wasn't sure what this was going to look like first year kind of struggled because I'm trying to figure out, you know, what do we do? How do we keep everybody engaged? Um, And so that summer after our first school year, I developed an in-house curriculum. And so now we have an in-house curriculum where I've taken all of the, all of my ideas, put them on paper in a lesson format so that each week now that we're at these schools, there's a different lesson um, either directly or indirectly involving the animal um, and it just, we can probably go two school years now without repeating th- the activity wow. because the lesson has just continued. The curriculum has just continued to grow and grow and grow. Um, so it's great. Our first non dog team was Penelope. You probably saw her on the website. So Penelope is my therapy pig and I got Penelope. She's a potbelly pig. She's now seven. I got her. Um, because people kept asking for hypoallergenic animals and I'm Mm. like, I I don't want a dog. I do not want another dog. There's no way. Um, and I really didn't want a poodle or a doodle or, you know, anything like that. So I had seen, um, about pigs. I saw pigs. I'm like, huh, pigs are supposed to be hypoallergenic and they're really smart. So I got a pig and she, when I got her, I was told she was eight weeks old. And, but I'm like, I can hold this pig in my hand. You know, I know nothing about pigs. They're like, oh yeah, she's eight weeks old. She's great. She couldn't even eat pellets when I got her. And I'm like, this is crazy. Um, come to find out, she probably was about four weeks old. So she was really just attached to, to me and just to any attention because she didn't have, um, I mean, she was taken away from her mom and I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so she's become like this sweet, gentle, just, tolerates anything because potbellies kind of can be like dogs right they just will follow you around and yes she does yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she absolutely does she if you're not giving her attention she's crying they're like this cross between a three-year-old a cat and a dog you know you take them <laughs> all together and you're like That's are awesome. you gonna be moody are you gonna be a little brat are you gonna listen what are you? So you take all those three, mold them together and you get a pig. Um, But she, she's amazing with the kids. And probably because she was around my son when he was at his peak of just dysregulation. And so nothing phases her. A kid can have a full on meltdown. They're screaming, kicking, and she's just like, all right, whatever. But my other pig, you make one little noise and he's like, takes off running. Um, So it's a, it's a big difference. So she was the first non-traditional, but now we've moved to um, many horse. We have many horses, um, goats, alpacas. We had a bird. Uh, he passed recently. Um, we now have tortoises, ball pythons. Um, so do you kind of find like, so how does that work for, let's say you want to, you want to try and pair an animal with a kid. Do you just try and see which animal the kid is most gravitated to, or how do you know which kid would go to which animal or work with whichever animal so in a in the clinical settings we only use dogs and the therapists will say um when they put the request in for a kid they'll say you know i really think this kid would do better with a larger dog or they'll say this this kid would do better with a high energy dog or this one really needs a calm dog so then i try to match the personalities of the dog with what the therapist is asking but, and then we kind of go from there at the schools, at the schools and the adult day programs, it's a rotating schedule. So schools and adult day programs, we're, we're treated like a special. So just like they have music, PE, yoga, 
they have animal therapy. So we're there the same day of the week, every, you know, every week um, for, they rotate, they rotate through anywhere between 20 minutes and that the adult day programs were there about an hour. Um, and it's a different animal and a different activity. And so we just keep them on that rotating basis. So throughout the school year, the goal is that they get to see, you know, multiple species, multiple different breeds of the, of the dogs while they're at school. How do the snakes go over? Do some people get freaked out by snakes? Yes. <laughs> I still have not held a snake. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> like, you haven't held one? I have not. No, I, I kind of held it like this because one of the members was an, an adult was like, uh-uh, not touching it, not touching it. And I said, okay, well, if I hold it, will you hold it? And he said, yes. So he held it with one hand. I held it with one hand, but I haven't gone the whole, the okay, again. let's put it around my neck. Yeah. And let's, as soon as I feel that, like all those muscles moving, mm-hmm. it just creeps me out. I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> but, but when I was first asked about the snakes, I'm like, what's the snake going to do? Like, what's it going to do? It's just going to like, sit, like they're going to hold it and that's it. Right this snake that we have that out here in the East Valley. Um, oh my gosh, she is so social. She sees people and her handler brings them close and she's like in their face trying to, you know, sniff them and uh. just all super social. Same with the tortoises. Um, both of the tortoises we have, I am like, what's it going to do? It's probably going to hear one of the kids make a loud noise and like tuck, tuck in, you know, mm. how social are they? no way these these two boys they like they're investigating everything they walk right over to the members they get their heads you know neck scratch head scratch love it they love the social interaction and i think that's the key for our programs is that you don't have to be the perfect animal to be a therapy animal with us what i am looking for is obedience and socialization you know, because if an animal doesn't want you to touch them, then it's not, you know, it's not that it's, they're not going to be good because the goal is for them to want to interact and, and be touched. Um, you know, it's different setting than if you're in a hospital where you, the dogs can't run, they can't be off leash. Mm-hmm. They have to just sit and walk where me, I'm like, can your dog do tricks? Will they chase the ball? Will they do, you know, <laughs> yeah. treat puzzles? So I'm like, how interactive can your dog be? Um, versus, you know, like I said, a dog that's different than like a normal quote unquote therapy dog. Like, you know, you'll see. Absolutely. So, so like Zoe didn't have to get a a certification to become a therapy dog. She did. So she did get a certification and she almost failed because (laughs) she's not, you know, the test that she took, she had to sit, I had to drop the leash. And I had to walk away from her in this room of a bunch of people she doesn't even know. And I dropped the leash and leave her. And then call. she's supposed to come when I call her. Well, she's like, oh, no, my mom's over there. I'm over there, too. But they wanted her to stay. And I'm like, but in, in reality of it, it's kind of like, you know, you never want me to let go of the leash when I'm out with her. But during the test, you want me to drop the leash and want her to stay away from me. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't making sense to me. And it's just like little things like that is why we started doing our own internal evaluations. So now you don't have to go to a national organization to get evaluated and registered. We do it all internally because of the things we look for are so different than the national registration, you know, the national registrations. Um, If we're in a room you know, in like your doctor's office, that's about the size of the clinic therapy rooms, treatment rooms. Um, if it's just you and the door shut, why do I need to have that hold of that leash the entire time? Drop the leash, let the dog go. Um, there's one, of, there's a school out in, out here that has an indoor soccer field and it's completely shut off. So we allow the dogs take off the leash and the dog runs around with the kids. They do Frisbee, which is great for hand-eye coordination, mm-hmm. gross motor skills. Um, but if, you, if you're stuck in this little box of rules, you're not going to be able to accomplish the goals that the kids need to meet if you're restricted. So by us being able to do everything internally, it kind of takes the lid off those off the box and no more if, rules. If you well, we do, to, have, we yes. do have rules, but not, yeah. <laughs> not as strict. If you had to guess, how many people a year do you serve? Or you might know this number. So 
Uh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) So last year we served 580. Okay. Um, 580. And so that's children and adults. Um, This year we're anticipated to probably hit about 850, maybe 900. And this is Um, all locally in your county? All in Maricopa County. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. All in Maricopa County. I, when I hear stories like this, I'm just like, there's so many people that need this kind of help. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. You know, that like, they don't know how to get that breakthrough. See, I mean, when I hear your story, this was like a special moment where you guys had a breakthrough with your own family. And then now you get to experience that with other families. It's like, gosh, what, what can you do to like expand that out to where, you know, all the other people that need help, you know, I would think that your business i don't know how you would franchise it or expand it but gosh there's a need for it you know yeah there definitely is a need and and my thing is all quality you know because we I, we have two two full-time staff oh hold on you're on mute oh i think you muted it got muted there you go sorry about that got it so is is quality because i want to make sure what we're doing out in all of the different facilities is still the same. what i have in right. my head right. what i do so you know before we take on a new facility I, I i have to i have to tour it um a lot of times we'll do a pilot program before we fully commit because if I'm not going to, if we go to a new school, for example, and I tell them what, pitch the program to them, this is what I expect from your staff. This is what we bring to the table together is where the magic happens. But if their staff isn't fully on board and their staff isn't engaged and we're just trying to work everything, it's not going to work because I me and the volunteers and my staff, we don't know those kids' behaviors. We don't know the day yeah. that they were having 10 minutes before we walked in the door. Mm-hmm. The teachers do. And so it, it requires the teachers and the therapists and the staff members to be fully engaged because they have to manage the behaviors. And unfortunately, in the autism world, there are some behaviors and they're mm-hmm. physical behaviors. And so you really have to, the staff has to manage those behaviors to keep everyone safe because we are still dealing with animals. Um, So I've been kind of picky on how we continue, how we grow um, and where we grow for those, those reasons. Um, We, about almost four years now, we started working with foundation for blind children. And when we started there, I brought in my typical autism curriculum and I'm like, yep, this is what we're going to do. And it, I, I had to start over. It was just, it's a completely different ball game. The kids there, it's preschool through fourth grade, and they are not working on the same skills and goals that they are in the autism schools. They're working on a lot of more medically fragile. So they're very limited mobility. So we're working on just stretching our arms out. We're working on turning our heads, just staying staying awake and alert. Um, Very, very simple tasks. And I remember a teacher told me when we started, just remember, fast is slow, slow is fast. Repetition over and over and over again. So we really had to change everything that we do, not everything, but the, the method that we, you know, put it out there differently than at the autism schools. Um, we did a pilot program at the end of this last school year for the Phoenix Day School for the Deaf. And so we will be starting there in August. So the program wow. was successful. Wow, and so awesome. now we'll be working with the probably the biggest blind school in the valley and the, now the deaf school that's in the valley on top of three or four autism schools that are in maricopa county wow i have a a question i don't know if this has ever happened or it's something that you even would push not push to it to see if it's possible for it to happen but have you ever had any stories of any kids who have gotten off any like anxiety medication or any sort of medication after going through the therapy with any animals 
that I don't know because of HIPAA. So okay, like gotcha. we're, when we go into any place, we don't know their diagnosis or mm-hmm. their, even, we don't even really know their, el- their IEP eligibility yeah. um, because it's, it's HIPAA. So we don't gotcha. know, but we have seen, I mean, huge changes in behaviors. For example, um, in a, in a clinical setting, a therapist, you know, before we started and it was our first client at this clinic first ever, like first time ever at this clinic therapist says, okay, I just want to warn you. I'm not sure how my kid's going to like the dog. He has a Mm. lot of physical behaviors. I frequently have my ponytail ripped out. I'm being hit, have lots of behaviors. And I'm like, Oh boy, what are we, what are we in for? Kid walks in loves the dog instantly and i'm like in my head i'm like kid has behaviors i I would never guess and after kid left therapist was like oh my gosh that is the very first session i've had with him in a year that i have not just been smacked upside the head like it's just amazing um i think like when parents see that that they would be like oh we need to get a dog (laughs) yeah you know we have had some um, parents who they've kind of been on the edge where they're like, do we get a service dog? Do we not? Would, does my kid even like a dog? Because that's a big commitment. If you mm-hmm. don't know your kid's going to respond well to a dog. So we've actually had a couple of clients that they were with us. They did animal therapy with us and their parents are like, wow, this is, this is really working for them. And then they did wind up getting a service dog, putting them through the training, um, through, the, cool. through another that's company. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Do you have a hypothesis of what you think it is about animals that calms the kids down, that just lets them kind of be more free and changes their personality? What do you think it is about animals that that has them do that? Non-judgmental, unconditional love. So we would have therapists that would say, you know, you're person to person and kids with, you know, people with autism, they don't like to make eye contact. They don't, you know, is someone judging me? Why are they asking me to do these demands? So if it was a simple thing that I did with my son and, and my dogs, and then a therapist did the same thing. And I'm like, that's it. Is that they, you ask them, can you do this for Zoe? Can you tell Zoe X, Y, Z? Because before you bring the dog in, the therapist is saying, okay, can you look at me Mm -hmm. and tell me X, Y, Z kid doesn't want to make eye contact. They don't want to talk to the person who's placing demands on them asking. And I say demands, not like demanding, but just requests Mm -hmm. um, on them. But if they're doing it for the dog, they'll look at the dog and talk to the dog all day long, but they may not do that with the person. So it's the unconditional uh, love. Oh no, keep going. No, it's unconditional love and, and non-judgment because the dogs, yeah. even if they get it wrong, the dog's still going to love them. Whereas if a, you know, if a human asks them to do something, they're going to say, no, that's, that's not right. Let's try again. Gosh, the dog's so not going to yeah, say that. Fascinating. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, have you found that uh, one dog might work for an individual where another dog might not, you know, like yes. how like they respond to it? Yeah. And I think it's really, you know, because say you have a kid with super high energy and you have a dog that's, you know, maybe they don't like that high energy. They're just kind of like, yeah, just chill. Where the dog might not be as maybe more standoffish to a kid that's real high energy. But if you have an, a dog that's kind of in the middle, not so high energy, but can still be playful, they're going to look for that and want that. So you really, there are incidents, incidences where you're, they, it just doesn't work. Um, but then you bring in another dog and it, and it works. One thing that we see more than that is you, especially in the schools, you'll have kids completely fearful of dogs, hate dogs, whatever trauma has happened at home, do not like dogs. You bring in the pig, the goat, the horses, any of that. And now they're all on board where you, you can't get them away from that. So that's one thing that's unique about our program is that it's because it's not all dogs in certain areas. Let me, let me put that little asterisk in there. Um, that they have that opportunity for an animal that's not a dog because maybe they are fearful. Gotcha. Yeah. Have you ever had any kids become overly emotionally attached to an animal and then like say either the trainer leaves or moves away or the kid just like 
doesn't get to see the same animal again and it becomes a problem where they're like hey i really like you know this you know zoe or whatever and so he's not here anymore so like now they start to like get anxiety or upset about that have you ever had had that happen not in the clinical setting we haven't we have had a few animals pass away that have been in the schools and where the kids would see them regularly um there was a dog in um at one of the schools and she was there very frequently um and she worked one-on-one with some of the kids at this school and she passed away suddenly at the age of four maybe three um and it just was devastating for the kids Mm. completely devastating um but their their staff had them their teachers had them write thank you cards to the or not you know i'm sorry sympathy sympathy cards to the handler and they drew pictures of the dog and they did all of that kind of like as coping which it's really and if i'm not sure if you guys are parents but as parents you kind of have to take that as a teaching moment mm-hmm, teachable right, moment yeah. and say okay this is a great opportunity to teach them empathy sympathy you know how does it make you feel you know do you think that Miss Pat is sad too because Evie left or Evie passed away. Um, And so it's really a good teachable moment for the teachers when something unfortunate like that happens. I bet. Yeah. That's got to be tough anytime you lose animal because they're like, for most people, it's like part of your family. And then for, for those kids, when they might get to see an animal once or twice a week or whatever it is, you know, and you don't get to see it anymore, I can see how that could be really hard. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, no, it was that one was the toughest one. Yeah, no cats in the program, huh? Little too skittish. We used to have, we actually used to have a cat. It was a hairless cat, um, oh, and they picture, he did yeah. great. He was amazing. <laughs> he was amazing with the kids, um, but he passed away, and so we haven't yet been able to get a cat. And you know what? That's probably my number one question from kids: Do you have a cat? Really? Do you have a cat? Yeah. Do you have a cat? Um, but I don't, cats are, cats are cats. So yeah. I don't know. It's kind of hard. Everybody that I've known would be like, Hey, you have a cat. How's your cat on a leash? And they're like, yeah, no, my cat's <laughs> yeah. not going on a leash. Yeah. <laughs> Vaden has a cat that's on a leash. We cat. have a cat that goes on a leash since it was young. Oh, really? Yeah. That I mean, you can't, so you can't, cool. you can't like walk he's not, it. Like it, yeah. it's going to, it's, he's going to go where he wants to go, but, uh, but he'll go. I don't think he'd be good with a bunch of kids. <laughs> no, he's, yeah, he's still, like, he's still a cat. <laughs> So your so your son is he still uh, work with Zoe or is he like all about any other animals now? Oh, he loves all all animals, yeah. um, and it's he's gotten so used to them. Like I'll be like, oh, we're gonna go see the alpaca today, and he's like, I've seen the alpaca, yeah. <laughs> so he's got he's like it's no big deal to him. Um, so, but yes, he loves as soon as he's on the couch or he's on anywhere, he wants Zoe and Jock. Um, Jacques is actually our logo. So our logo is um, Jacques and my son, Um, even though the program didn't start with Jacques, it started with Zoe because Jacques was only about six months old when um, I started everything. Jacques is another French Um, bulldog? Jacques is another French bulldog. Yes. Um, They're buddies. So as soon as, you know, as soon as Caleb, he sits down, the dogs are on him and he's holding them and he loves them. But Will he wake up and feed them? No. Will he go pick up their poop? No. <laughs> but, but he loves them. <laughs> you have more of a story behind the logo too, right or not? Yes. Yes. So the logo is my son and Jock. And the two of them, they're, they share the same birthday five years apart. Oh, and awesome. so it, that ever, as soon as I brought Jock home and I told him, hey, Jock is, I told him Jock is your dog. So now he's like, I'm Jock's dad. I have to take care of Jock. Um, so Jock, him and Jock really just kind of bonded. And Jock is just, he just wants somebody to touch him. Just touch me. If you're not touching me, he's pawing at you to touch him. So the two of them really have bonded over time. And so in my head, you know, that's, that's a positive friendship. And so that really, my goal is for kids to create and form these positive friendships with the animals like my son has with Jock. Now, even though I started with Zoe, Zoe is my dog. She will always be my dog. If I leave the room, she's following me. But Jock will gravitate towards my son. Like that's, he'll go to to him. 
So that's kind of the, the whole symbol between my son, which is actually his profile. And then that's Jock's profile sent it to a graphic designer mm-hmm. and kind yeah, of explain cool to her what I want. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. So is, that's, is the, a, that's the story. Nah, is there a breed? And you, you have two Frenchies, but is there, do you notice that Frenchies do well? Is there a breed of dogs? I know you have other animals too, but is there like a consistent breed that you think that seems to work best? Um, you know, it really depends on the, on the dog and you know what, really the handler, how much mm. effort does the handler put into the, the training and the socialization of the dog? Because a lot of people will say like, Oh, you can't have pit bulls or you can't have Rottweilers or you can't have this. Oh my goodness. We have, um, we have a, a pity named uh, hippo who's on, she's like, she's the biggest squishiest, lovable, huggable animal. And she has the typical, she was rescued and she has those cropped short, tiny ears. She has this massive head and you look at it and you're like, Oh my goodness, she would be scary. She's like the most, <laughs> it looks like dog. a sweet dog though. She does look sweet. She is. She is. Oh my goodness. She's adorable. We have a lot of golden doodles. We have a lot of um, labradoodles, golden retrievers, but I think more than anything is how much the handler puts into the training and socialization. I would imagine that the the rabbit goes over pretty well. She does. She does. She does really well. And when I first, the first time I watched the rabbit in action, I was so nervous. I'm like literally having to sit on my hands because, you know, all the kids are holding them and I'm like, Oh, please be gentle. Please be gentle. But they really form that empathy where they, because they want to hold the rabbit, they, we tell them, you have to be gentle. You have Mm -hmm. to be gentle. So they are, they're really gentle. Same thing with small dogs. You know, I'm always nervous. Somebody's going to squeeze or pull or pinch, but we warn them and prompt them so many times to be gentle, be gentle, be calm body that they do that because they want that interaction. Love do you it. take do you take clients that call you and just want you to work with them directly, or is everything always either go through the school or go through an uh, you know an occupational therapist or something else, or does someone's like, hey, my you know son is five, they're autistic, I don't go, he doesn't go to the school yet, but do you would you be able to help us out and work with us? I don't. We only work with um, schools, clinics, and adult day programs. Um, because I've, I get lots of phone calls and emails about exactly what you just mm-hmm. described. And the reason I don't do that is because of liability. Right. Um, we don't go into someone else's home. I don't know, is there another animal in the home? What the right. situation is in the mm-hmm. home? Um, and the other part of that is our handlers know their dogs. Our handlers aren't trained um, speech, occupational therapists, special ed teachers. So they don't know. They don't know what they don't know. So I don't want to ever put them in a situation where potentially parents might be like, okay, here's, you know, play date with the dog. So it's not really that I want it. I really, as mom, I want it to be very therapeutic. Um, And so that everything we do is tracked in the clinic. It's tracked by the therapist. They put it in their progress notes in the schools. They, the teachers can add the notes into the students IEPs and in the adult day programs. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but they, they have a, um, they have goals and at the adult day programs, the staff track the goals and the progress with the animals in those clients, um, whatever they're, they're, it's submitted to the state, um, all their progress and goals. Well, what uh, is your vision for the future was my question. (laughs) Oh, goodness. I, I I want to expand down. I I keep, even yesterday, I got another inquiry of wanting us to expand down to Tucson. Um, So I I am really considering expansion down to Tucson. Our limiting factor, as always, is funding. Because Mm -hmm. in order to expand, I have to hire someone that I trust. And that's going to do the program, how it's being done up in Phoenix. Um, and then we have to make sure we find the right tra- therapy teams, train the right therapy teams, the supplies. So it's really 
that's always a limiting factor. And then finding the right therapy team, um, because maybe some parents or not some parents, but some dog parents don't feel comfortable around special needs or around, um, you know, not impulsive, but just kind of, it it is impulsive, Mm -hmm. um, movements and that type of thing. So you really have to have that, that right fit. And so I love to expand to Tucson and then really establish in Arizona. And if I can establish in Arizona, then look into, you know, replicating it in, in other States, because I know there is such a need for it. Mm -hmm. Um, you well, know, maybe before I retire, yeah. we'll be in across the U.S. <laughs> there you go. I like it. That's great. Are the companies, are the big companies like um, Autism Speak or big nonprofits, should I say, Autism Speaks or Else for Autism, those ones, are they kind of too big to try and reach out to? Or have you had any like luck going any of those routes to be like, hey, could you guys co-sponsor you know, this? Autism, or like Speaks, Autism Speaks has a grant and we've applied for their grant. Gosh. Oh, probably five or six years in a row. And we've been denied every time. Um, our, our biggest funding source in Arizona is our, the Arizona tax credit. And I, have you guys heard of that before? Probably not. Okay. So in the state of Arizona, the state will allow you to donate up to $800 if you file joint, 400 if you file single. And you can, if, if you owe, say you owe the state $1,000 and you're married, you can donate $800 to Positive Friendships, and now you only have to pay the state $200. That's cool. But on the flip side, if you say you're going to get a refund of $1,000, you can still donate $800 to Positive Friendships. Now the state is going to give you $1,800. Oh, wow. That's wow. awesome. So no it's brainer. free money. Yeah. yeah exactly, <laughs> no right? Yeah. So... So that now you need to talk to every really, accountant, every H and R block accountant out exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's free money. You know, put it on your credit card, and then before the statement comes, you have your money back and pay it off. You know, right. now you get points too, right? Yeah, but, that's right. Um, you're a good sales pitch on that. And miles, you're getting miles, you're getting everything. That's good. Get, get your miles. It's free money. Yeah. You know, everything. But that's been our biggest way that we've been able to grow. Um, that and then private family foundations. Um, we were able to hire a new staff member because of private family foundation. They said, what do you really need? And I'm like, I need another staff member. Mm-hmm. And so they agreed to fund that her yearly, a, year, a yearly salary for one oh, year. Wow. Um, and our goal is to have growth to free me up because before we hired her, I was in the program. I'm still, I was still scheduling teams, bringing on new teams in the in the schools, in the clinics, in the, the programs. So that kind of pulled me out of the program so that she can do all of that stuff so that I can do focus on business growth strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that type of thing. So that's kind of been the, the biggest thing. And grants are getting harder and harder to, um, to come by nowadays. Yes. Yep. And you always have, you know, the big, huge organizations and nonprofits, are the ones that are getting them because they can show all those numbers and they have the history. The other downside for us is all of our stuff is um, it's not quantified, you know, because how do you count how many times you made a kid smile, you know, whereas you have a homeless shelter or food bank, your dollar fed X number of people. We don't have that. So it's kind of hard for donors to really, to see that. Mm -hmm. So then I guess the follow-up question would be if you're in Northern California like us or upstate New York, how can people help? What's the best way they can help out? Ooh, follow us on social media, share, follow us on social media, share the social media post because social media helps us to get the word out there. And if you're in Northern California, New York, New Jersey, you like our page and you share it, you never know who else, who your friends are that are in Arizona or, you know, that have a big company that says, you know what, we're really looking for an initiative to, you know, support. So social media platform and sharing would be just a tremendous help. Awesome. And it doesn't cost you anything to do it. So you everybody could do it right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go do it. It might be worth, I don't know if what, if DonorSea does stuff locally, but there's an app called DonorSea. 
And basically you can put your story about what your nonprofit is on there. So people kind of scroll through it like a, um, you know, social media and they, you can just look at different nonprofits. It might be something that where you can reach out to them and get hooked up with them. Wow. Another way to get funding. So it's donor, donor C like S E E. Yes. Yeah. We, we interviewed the founder a while ago and it's like, it's micro micro donating, donating, sorry, but just basically just like donating on a very hyper micro level. So um the way it would seem like it would work in, in other aspects like for instance it's like this lady in you know uganda who has river blindness and she needs 400 dollars for this appointment like and so then you go there you see that story there's a video she talks about it and people donate and the money goes directly to her and for this appointment or something like that or this surgery you know whatever it is um so you could get very micro niche down to a certain kid a certain program you know like the school that has x amount of kids and it's going for this and it's a really it's a really cool app yeah that's awesome i've never i'm going to definitely have to look into that i've never i've never heard of that but yeah we are also federal um 501c3 so you know if someone does donate to us out of state it still counts on your federal taxes it's just if you're in arizona it's dollar for dollar so that's the the only difference so we do have our 501c3 status, which is still federally tax deductible. So awesome. That's a that's an awesome program to learn about in Arizona. It's really cool. Thank yeah, you. it is. Oh, gosh. I Thank mean, who you. wants to give who wants to give their money to the government when you can give it to such awesome nonprofits? Right. Right? That's amazing. <laughs> I think one of my board members said that there's only four states in the US that offer that. So maybe if when are we looking at expansion? I need to find those other exactly. three states and yeah. that's where I expand. <laughs> Why did you expand in North Dakota, Missouri, and Washington State? Yeah, right. Strategically very weird. <laughs> well, we love what you're doing. And gosh, I know you're making an impact in so many families' lives and so many kids' lives. And uh, you know, small things like that go a huge way. And you know, I just love that life threw you a curveball and it blossomed into a beautiful, you know, new thing that you could get to help so many other families now. It's just amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thank, yeah. thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for following us on social media and reaching yeah. out to reaching out to us. If you like today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.